Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Hello, and welcome to the Defender Bible Study Podcast. Today is Monday, October the 3rd, 2022. My name is Chris Johnson. I serve as the Vice President of Church Partnerships and Government Affairs for Lifeline Children's Services. This week, we'll be continuing our study through the book of Genesis, and we'll be looking at Genesis chapter number 27. Well, through our study in Genesis, we have looked at the life of Abraham, and then we have now moved into the life of Isaac. And uh, you, I, I tell you, when we when we started looking at Isaac, of course, the, the first time we really see information about him is, of course, when his father is about to uh, sacrifice him to the Lord, and Isaac willingly climbs on the altar and obedience to the Lord in Genesis 22. Genesis 24, we see his willingness to trust God to uh, to choose a wife for him and to give him a wife, and he receives that wife well. Um, we're told that, that he loved his wife, Rebecca, dearly and uh, was, was grateful for her. We see uh, in Genesis 25, we saw how Isaac and Rebecca, they were willing to, to pray and seek God's direction and seek God's mind for their home and their family and we see God giving them promises and God working in their life. But now we're going to fast forward a few years and we are going to see in Genesis chapter 27 that this family has now become a mess. Um, if you were to look up the definition of dysfunctional family, I think you could very easily see a picture of Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Esau. And we come to Genesis chapter 27 and, and man, it is one of the most messed up stories we can imagine. And we think these are, you know, the patriarchs, right? These are the people that, that even are included in the hall of faith, hall of fame for faith in Hebrews 11. And what in the world is going on with their story and with their life? And so we're going to see here in Genesis 27, kind of, uh, what happens when we, when we slide away from, from walking strongly in our faith and when we get to a place of dysfunction and mess. But the thread that we're going to see through it is that God is still in control and God still accomplishes his purposes and he still accomplishes his will. We're going to see as we read through this story and, and look at what's going on here, what's taking place in this family. We're going to just really see, um, again, just things that are typical of dysfunction within a family. We're going to see isolation and how members of the family have isolated to themselves, but then also have kind of picked teams and chosen their favorites and basically have moved into a time of only communicating with those that they would view as their favorites and those that they want to be a part of. There's isolation from uh, from the family unit. Uh, we're going to see a lack of trust. Uh, there's no trust of each other. They don't trust one another. Rebecca and, and, and Isaac's, you know, they loved each other so dearly at the beginning, but now they're in a place where they don't trust each other and, um, they're, they're just not communicating, but also there's no trust of God. Um, there's urgency to try to make the things of God happen instead of just waiting and trusting him to accomplish his purpose. And so we see isolation. We see a lack of trust. We see deception. 
we see members of this family that are intentionally trying to deceive one another and trick one another and go behind each other's backs and lie about things. And so we see deception and then we see secrecy. Uh, we see people trying to do things again in secret so that nobody else knows about it, so that they can try to pull one over on the other and not including one another, not telling each other. And I think those are, are, are things that we need to be careful about. And we need to watch in our own families and families that we that we serve and care for, that we be aware uh, of these tendencies and these, these kind of underlying currents. Um, you know, sometimes you may not see all of these things, but if we start seeing some of these things in our own lives, in our own families, we need to be on guard. We need to be careful. So watch out for isolation, for lack of trust, for deception, for secrecy, and be careful about these things. And so we see all of these things play out here in this story in Genesis chapter 27. And really, as we look, as we've, as we've been studying from the very beginning, we've already seen a number of families that have gone through these types of things. Uh, man, you, you think of Adam and Eve, and from the very beginning, when 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 Adam sinned, what did he do? He blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. I mean, there's blaming, there's shift blaming. Then, then of course, Cain and Abel and the dysfunction that happened there. And you go on Noah and the dysfunction of his family after the flood. And and of course, Abraham has his own stories. He and Sarah of the dysfunction in their family as well. And so we see these characteristics that are evident over and over again. I'm reminded, and even as I was studying this chapter over and over again, different commentaries I read and different people who had spoken on this passage used the same quote over and over again. Sir Walter Scott in a poem wrote, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. And we're going to see that lived out in plain language here in Genesis chapter number 27. We're just going to walk through the, the chapter this morning. We're going to look at the different characters. There are four different primary characters through this chapter. We're going to see just really the, the, the mistakes and the struggles of each of these four characters. And then I want to leave us with a few uh, application points and things that, that we can glean from this, uh, from this chapter. So we start off with the patriarch himself, with Isaac. Uh, Genesis 27, beginning in verse number one, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And he answered, here I am. He said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Isaac, we, we know, again, the backstory leading up to this, God had pro passed on the, the promise of Abraham. He had given that promise to Isaac. But then he had told very clearly, he had told Isaac and Rebekah that, that, pro that the promise was going to continue, but it was going to continue through their second born son. They had these, these twin boys, Jacob and Esau, that was born. And it was said that the older, the firstborn, Esau, the one that came out first, would, um, would, would su submit himself, would be submitted to the younger, that Jacob would be the leader, that Jacob would be the one that would receive the blessing, receive the inheritance and pass it on. But somehow through this, this time, we're going to see that uh, that, that Isaac has developed this close relationship with Esau and that Rebekah has developed this close relationship with Isaac. And so Abraham, knowing that God's promise is going to be passed on through Jacob, uh, develops and desires to pass it on instead to his favorite, to his favorite son. Now, we also know that in the, in the previous chapter, uh, there was a time where, where Esau so begrudged his birthright that he was willing to sell it to Jacob for a meal, for, for a bowl of porridge. And 
And, and certainly Isaac would have known about that as well. And so all of this, this dysfunction is now leading to where uh, Isaac is, is older in his, in his life. And Isaac kind of gets to the point where he, um, is thinking that, that his life is getting close to the end. He's, he's losing his eyesight. His hearing's not as good. And ultimately he's hungry and he's, and he's just hungry. And so to, to satisfy his flesh, he, he, the plan makes this plan to have Esau go out and, and, and kill, uh, the game and then come back and prepare a meal for him. And he says, in doing so, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the blessing that, that he knew God already had designed to go to Jacob. But he says, I'm going to, I'm going to give it to you instead. I want to give you this blessing before I die. Now, the reality is, Isaac lived for another 43 years after this time. So he really wasn't close to death, but his perspective was off. And he kind of, again, had this sense of urgency of saying, I've got to get this done. I've got to get this accomplished. And he wanted to accomplish his own purposes and his own plans uh, that just just lead to to trouble. And so even as as Isaac is as a place where he thinks that he is getting close to death, it's really kind of sad the things that he's focusing on. He's focusing on on satisfying his own his own flesh and getting a good meal. He's focusing on doing what he wants to do instead of what God had had told him to do. He's focusing on um, again showing favoritism to the one that to the son that he wanted to get these things instead of trusting God. Um, you know, we we see other people throughout Scripture that had different perspectives at the end of their death. When King David was coming close to the end of his life, his whole desire. His whole goal was to make the arrangements for the building of the temple because he wanted that legacy to outlive him, uh, that he wanted people to be able to worship God in that temple. Uh, Paul, when Paul was close to the end of his death, man, we know he spent his last days pouring into others and teaching and training others to be faithful to the word, to preach. But Isaac here is getting close to what he thinks is the end of his days. And instead of laying out that foundation for his family to continue to follow God, he's trying to usurp God. He's trying to go around God. He's trying to do things in a different way. And and even Isaac, as the leader of his family, had to know and had to see and recognize all the dysfunction and the disharmony and the disunity in his family. And, and you would think that he would have been trying to bring unity together and trying to bring the family together. But instead, he's just continuing to perpetrate the same thing and just continuing to, to carry out this division and, again, just going around God's plan and God's desire. Um, and although God had told him that this was was what was going to happen, uh, he wants something different. And he thinks that he knows what is best. And so he concocts this plan uh, to, to usurp the will of God and the plan of God. And, and he's very deliberate in his defiance of God. Uh, he trusts in his own senses instead of trusting in the will of God and the plan for God. So we, we see Isaac kind of laying this plan, but then we see uh, someone's been eavesdropping. Someone has been making a practice. And that's really when we when we see the word Rebecca was listening uh, at this time. It, it really, the, the Hebrew word there gives the connotation that this wasn't just a, she just happened to hear it, but it was this intentional eavesdropping and trick checking in. And again, the secrecy and this kind of going around and hiding behind each other to try to figure out what was going on. And so now we move in the next few verses and we see Rebecca's role in this whole plan and this craziness. Verse number five. Now, Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. 
Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the, before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare for them delicious food for your, fa- for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will fool me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, and so bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and bread, which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. Can you believe this? I mean, are these one of the, some of these stories in the Bible, you read them and you're like, what in the world was she thinking? Where in the world did this come from? I'm just picturing it in my mind as she's taking these goat skins and just, you know, somehow putting them on his arm and on his neck. And I'm like, hey, we're, we're in October now, right? We're moving into Halloween season. And maybe she's like thinking this is going to be a great Halloween costume. I don't know. But how in the world is she thinking that this is a good idea? Rebecca, again, who so willingly followed the leadership of the Lord and was willing to do what God was calling her to do when he, she was chosen to be Isaac's wife, uh, willingly prayed uh, for a child. God provided her twins. She prayed for her family. And now she is at a point of just doing some just ridiculous things to try to deceive her husband, to trick her husband into, into again, uh, try, to, try to do things outside of God's plan and outside of God's will and God's desire. And so this just just tragic scene that we see here that this husband and wife that were once so dedicated to the Lord and dedicated to each other have now just so isolated from one another where they, they're not talking about plans together. You know, it would have been the right thing to do would have been to come together and say, hey, we're getting closer in our years. Let's figure out how to, uh, you know, share the blessings with our sons. Let's figure out how to, again, you know, continue this cycle of godliness and faith and, and strong heritage. Let's figure out a way to pass this thing on. Let's talk about the things that we're having, the things that we're going to share and how we're going to pass on these blessings to our kids. These are all things that they should have been discussing together, but instead they're conniving and they're twisting and, and really taking matters into their own hands. And so uh, Rebecca here says, I'm going to, I'm going to fix this. He, he thinks he's going to one up me, but I'm going to one up him and we're going to trick him and we're going to take advantage of his lack of sight and his lack of smell, his lack of hearing. We're going to take advantage of, of him and his, and his age here. And, and we're going to trick him and, and we're going to get this the way that we want it to be. And, and Jacob at first raises a voice of concern and there's a part of you that starts reading that and going, okay, Jacob knows truth. And so Jacob's going to stand up and say, you know, God's already promised that I'm going to get this blessing. So we don't need to do this. But that's not at all what we see happening here. There are some that say, well, Jacob was just obeying his mom. But, but the reality is Jacob was more concerned about getting caught than he was about violating God's plan. 
He was more concerned about, hey, this is never going to work, and I don't think he's going to fall for it, and, and, and we need to do, come up with a, really a better plan is kind of his idea. He's more concerned with, with the fact that, hey, dad's going to get mad at me, and he's going to curse me instead. And so just totally ignoring what God's promise had already been made, totally ignoring God's plan, and instead being more concerned about, about how, to, how, to, how to pull the wool over his dad's eyes, about how to trick his dad, about how to not get a cursing, but instead instead get a blessing. And so uh, he even says, it would appear that we're deceiving him. It doesn't appear that you're deceiving. You're blatantly setting out to deceive him. And so we just see that the wickedness, even in, in Jacob's heart through this situation. And, you know, Rebecca, her whole mindset here is that the end justifies the means. She knew again that it was God's plan for Jacob to get the blessing. And instead of trusting God, she says, I'm going to, I'm going to, it doesn't matter how we get to that point. We're still going to get to that point, but I'm going to maneuver and I'm going to manipulate the situation and I'm going to make it happen my way and in my time frame. And so we see that this heart of deception, this heart of deceit, Psalm 32, 2 says, blessed is the man in whose spirit is no deceit. But here we see Rebecca wanting to, to trick Isaac. We see Jacob going along with that. And, and so we see uh, this Isaac being uh, deceived here. We see Rebecca coming up with a story, delivering, deliberately setting out to deceive her husband. And so then we see Jacob's role in Jacob in the actual act of deceiving his father, beginning in verse number 18. So he being Jacob, he went into his father and said, my father. And he said, here am I, who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I want you to think through as I'm reading this and count the number of times that Jacob blatantly lies to his dad. He says, lie number one, I am Esau, your firstborn. Number two, I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat my game that your soul will bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you found it so quickly, my son? And he answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Now, not only is he lying, but he's bringing God into his lie. You know, I, I just kind of thinking, how did you, how did this happen so fast? How'd you get back so fast with this? I just sent you out. And, and Isaac, first of all, just, or Jacob, first of all, just blatantly lies to him, but then he also brings God in. Well, well, God helped me do this quickly. And so how shameful and how uh, difficult is it to, to see this? Then Isaac said to Jacob, verse 21, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. Evidently, Rebecca knew what she was doing, right? She knew her husband. She knew what he would do to, to try to authenticate that this was that this was Esau. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And then he said, he's still not totally sure. Are you really my son Esau? He answered. What does Jacob do? He lies again. I am. Then he said, bring, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is a smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. See, again, 
Abraham's trying to give this blessing that God intended for Jacob. He's trying to give it to Esau, but in trickery, he's giving it to Jacob. Be Lord of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So we saw here that Jacob, seven different times, Jacob blatantly lied to his dad and even leans in to kiss his dad, showing again, just a a deep level of disrespect and dishonor to his dad. So many times throughout this story, from the very beginning, from the time that Rebecca first mentioned her plan to Jacob, all the way through this process of Jacob going through with the plan, so many times Jacob could have stopped what was going on. He could have stood up and said, this is not God's plan. This is not honoring to God. This is not honoring to my family. And he could have stopped what was happening and stood up and done what is right. But over and over again, we see him going down this path. Again, when we start creating, we start weaving that web of lies. We have to lie again and we have to lie again and we have to lie again. And it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And so instead of standing up for truth, instead of stopping what was wrong, Jacob just continues to go down this spiral, down. He he lied about his name. He lied about the food and where he got it from. He lied about God and God helping him. God had nothing to do with this, with the way that that Jacob was going about this. He lied about it, his identity. He he lied even about his love for his father and, and, and just totally dishonored and disrespected his father. And so Abraham ends up giving this blessing. He's thinking he's giving it to Esau, but he's giving this blessing to uh, to Jacob here. And it's the same blessing that he received from the Lord and that his father received from the Lord. And uh, it's the blessing regarding uh, personal prosperity, regarding, um, the, the again, the, the, the place of preeminence among the nations and among his brothers, and then even protection by God. And so he's giving these things, uh, passing on this blessing. And you have to kind of think, you know, the, the reality is Jake, uh, East Isaac, Isaac thinks that he's deceiving and, and getting past God and deceiving Jacob and Rebecca. Jacob thinks he's, Jacob and Rebecca think they're deceiving their dad. And it's just such a mess. They both think that they've, that they pulled one over on God, right? Um, Isaac, or Isaac thinks that, man, I, I've, I've gone around God and I've been able to bless Esau instead. And now my favorite son's getting my blessing. Uh, Isaac's thinking, or Jacob's thinking, uh, man, I, I've pulled one over on my dad and, and I'm gonna, uh, I'm now getting the blessing. And, and they both just have these impure motives and these impure hearts and desires. And just this deception just continues to go on and on. <laughs> and then here comes Esau. Esau, again, knowing that he had already sold his birthright to his, to his brother, knowing that he had already disqualified himself even from receiving the blessing because he had not been walking with God and he had chosen to take brides that were outside of the family of God. And he had done several things that, that really disqualified him from this. But he now, when he gets this word from his dad that, Hey, if you go kill uh, the game and you come back and prepare me this meal, then I'm going to, I'm going to go around God's plan and I'm going to give you the blessing instead. He jumps on that opportunity. Hey, this is my opportunity to still get all that I think is coming to me. Even though I've given it away, I've despised it. I've, I've, I've ignored the ways of God. I've pushed away the things of God. But now if I go do one or two things here and I have a good day here, then I'm going to be right back in the sweet spot. I'm going to be right back in the place of blessing. So notice what happens uh, now beginning in verse 30. 
As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from the hunting. So they almost passed each other. And, and this was why Jacob had to act so quickly because he knew Esau would be back soon. And they almost passed each other and it's almost all blows up in his face. He also, this is Esau, prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me that I, that I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Isaac's like, dude, I tried, but man, we've, we've been tricked. We've been had. And I, and, and it's already, the blessing has already gone out. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? <laughs> Jacob, the name that was given to him means you, you supper. Yeah. I mean, it, it means tricker. It means the one that deceives. Man, his name sure fit him. For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. It's interesting that Esau uh, is blaming Jacob for that, that first opportunity when Esau was the one that came to Jacob and said, if you'll give me your porridge or, or, or at least was willing to go along with it uh, when he wanted that bowl of porridge and, and, and um, Jacob said, Hey, you give me your birthright and I'll do it. And Esau went right along with it. But again, in a dysfunctional family, you've got blame shifting. Everybody's blaming everybody else instead of taking responsibility. He cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him Lord over you and all his brothers. I have given to him for servants and with grain and wine, I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing? My father, bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. And so again, this, 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 this blessing is really a prophecy of what would happen and what would come forward. And so in this moment, we see Esau is, uh, man, he is, he is, he is aggravated, he is frustrated, he is mad. Anger just boils within him. Uh, Isaac is just just completely devastated. Thought he he thought he had things figured out. He thought he was able to usurp God and go around the will of God, but now he finds that that he's he's just really made even a, a greater mess of things. Uh, Esau, the man that that had already ignored God's plan, he had already despised his birthright and, and gone against God's way. Um, now he, he's, he's kind of, uh, showing a little bit, you think maybe showing a little bit of sorrow or maybe he's sad for what happens, but no, that's not at all the case. He again is blaming his brother. He's blaming others. Um, we're told in Hebrews chapter number 12, um, that, that no, ultimately this, this story is referenced and, and the fact that, that Esau's heart was not right. His heart was still uh, a heart of stone. He couldn't even repent. Um, he couldn't change his, his father's mind. He couldn't, um, he just, he just, he wants more for himself. And, and we see again, just the, 
the devastation that this is causing, the um, the sorrow and the pain and the struggle and the dysfunction that this is, is producing in the family. And so then we see what the, the result of this is. And um, verse number 41 through the end of the chapter, now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. He hated his brother. He hated him and despised him. Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my mother, for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother, Jacob. Now, now Esau says, hey, again, they're all thinking that, that Isaac's going to die soon. And he says, hey, in just a few days, we're going to be mourning my father's death. But as soon as we get through that period, I'm coming after my brother and I'm going to kill him. I'm taking his life. Um, he doesn't deserve to live. I'm going to, I'm going to get back at him. Again, no repentance, no remorse. It's all just anger and hate. Of course, it's kind of ironic that God had Abraham live another 43 years, or excuse me, had Isaac live another 43 years after this. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. Here Rebekah is again, eavesdropping, meddling, getting into things. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away. Again, thinking it would just be a short period of time, uh, but we know it was more than 40 years later. Until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you, bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite, Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? So again, Rebekah, hearing what's going on, immediately moves into fix-it mode, into manipulation mode. And so she goes to Isaac or, or goes to Jacob and says, Jacob, you need to flee. Your brother's coming to kill you. You need to run away. Go to my brother. Go to, to our homeland um, where you'll be safe and stay away. And instead of just going to her, to her husband, Isaac, and talking this out and saying, look, we've made a mess of things. We need to repent before God. We need to fix this situation between our sons. We need to care for them, or at least we need to protect uh, Jacob. And I'm going to send him away to protect him. She comes right back with another lie uh, to, 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 Isaac, or to Isaac. And we're going to look at that uh, next week as we go into chapter 28. And she tells Isaac that she's sending him away to, to find a wife, um, which, which, is, which would have been the right thing. Again, if she just would have been honest and upfront about it. So many times we see in these stories, people doing, the, doing get it, trying to get to the right place, but doing it the completely wrong way. And again, violating God's plan and God's desire. How many times in our own lives do we do that? We're, we're, we're maybe you're trying to do a good thing, but we're doing it in just all the wrong ways instead of letting God accomplish the work in our life and instead of trusting him. And we're going to see that, that this eventually was, was devastating to Rebecca. Rebecca ends up because of her deceit and because of her, um, just, just the, the, the things that she does through this. We, we never have any other record of ever, Rebecca ever seeing her son Jacob again. The son that she so held on to and so loved and wanted to, to protect and care for and wanted to manipulate things for, she ends up never, ever seeing him again. What a tragic end. What a sorrowful uh, time for her uh, in this sense of manipulation. So again, we were reminded, oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. So what are some truths that we can glean for this? What are some things that we can pull from this, this crazy 
sad, unfortunate story of dysfunction among this family. Five things I want to give you real quick as we wrap up our time. First of all, a good beginning does not guarantee a good ending. A good beginning does not guarantee a good ending. You know, sometimes we we start off well, we start off right. We see so many stories in scripture of people that started off right, that that started off with a heart for God or started off with good intentions. But man, over the course of their life, we see them drift away from those intentions. We see them drift away uh, from those things and we see them ending in such a sad, sorrowful place. Um, we see it through scripture. We see it throughout history. We've maybe even seen it through people in our own lives, as we've seen uh, just the the walks of, of other people in our life who started off on fire for God and somewhere along the way they drifted away. And, and so I think the, the thing for us to remember here is that we must remain vigilant. We've got to remain vigilant for truth. We can't get to a point where we just kind of begin to coast in our spiritual life. And I think that's exactly what happens. Sometimes we see God's blessings and we see God working, but then we just kind of start taking things for granted and we just begin to coast along in our spiritual life. And we just begin to take the things of God for granted. And yeah, we we go to church and we may even, you know, read a verse here or there or do our daily bread devotion every day. And we just kind of coast through life and we're not vigilant about protecting our own faith. And we're not vigilant about passing that faith onto others behind us. There's something that we need to remember. We don't ever drift towards greater faith. The, the natural drift for us is not toward more trust, more faith, more dependency on God. As long as we're in these fleshly bodies and as long as we deal with the, 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 just the, the, the striving of this flesh, this flesh pulls us away from God. And the drift of the natural man is away from the things of God. So we must, as Paul said in Ephesians, we must put on the armor of God. We must protect our hearts, protect our minds. We must, we must yield the sword of truth, the word of God. We must be in God's word. We must be vigilant to protect our own faith and then be vigilant to pass on that faith to others. Isaac and Rebecca started off so strong and started off with so much potential. They could have passed on that fate to these, to these young men, to these boys, to these young men, to these adult men. They were in their seventies when this happened. Uh, Jacob and Esau were, they could have passed on this, this heritage of fate, but instead they allowed this drift to occur. May we remain vigilant for the things of God. A good beginning does not guarantee a good ending. Number two, kids often follow the lead of their parents. Kids often follow the lead of their parents. Uh, for those of us whom God has blessed with children, let's remember that. Our kids are watching us. They're watching our lives. They are looking at, at us as an example. They're seeing where we place our faith. When we step outside of God's will and try to manipulate God's plan, our kids are smart. They see those things. And, and you've heard the expression said over and over again, things are, 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 are caught a whole lot more than they're taught. They watch our lives. We can say what we want to say. We can say the things of God are important. But if they don't see our lives evidencing that and showing that and revealing that, um, our kids are going to kind of fall down a path. We, I've heard it said, and I've said it myself. Oftentimes what we do in moderation, our kids will do in excess. And so they take the things, they take our lead and they follow. So if we um, pour our lives into the things of God and we pour into them the things of God, um, may they see our lives and may they desire the same God that we desire to follow. 
Instead, lies and deception were passed on. They were passed on from Abraham and the struggles that he had with lying. They were passed on to Isaac. We saw Isaac doing that even when he was was trying to protect Rebekah and he lied to Abimelech. We see now it's passed on to Jacob and Esau and just continues on these continual cycles. And so kids often follow the lead of their parents. Let's make sure we're leading them to truth. Number three, God does not need our help to accomplish his will. God does not need our help to accomplish his will. God had already laid out the plan. He had already said what would happen. But again, Isaac and Rebecca think they can take things into their own hands. They seek to manipulate. Uh, they they want to rush ahead of God. They want to try to make things happen in their time frame. And instead, they should have trusted God. They should have trusted that he knew exactly what he was doing. They should have waited on God to, uh, to to accomplish his purposes. This idea in the Old Testament of waiting on the Lord, it really involves, revolves around trust and a, and a willing to trust that God's will is good, a willing to trust that God knows how to accomplish his will. God doesn't need our help. And I'm so thankful. Oftentimes he enlists us and encourages us and uses us to accomplish his will, but he does not need us to manipulate the situation. He does not need us to talk people into coming to the Lord. He does not need us to fix everybody else. What our role and our goal, what what God's call for our life is, is to be faithful to the things of God, to be faithful to proclaim the things of God, and then be faithful to trust God to accomplish his purposes, to trust God to accomplish his will. It is not my role to fix God's plans. It is not my role to say to God, God, I agree that this is a good plan, but you're just not doing it fast enough and you need my help. So I'm going to come and I'm going to, I'm going to manipulate your will. I'm going to manipulate your word. I'm going to manipulate these relationships to try to get to your will faster. Every time we try to manipulate things and try to get in God's way, we make a mess of things. Instead, may we heed the admonition of the psalmist. May we wait on the Lord, be of good courage and let him strengthen our heart. May we take the words of Isaiah and recognize that those who wait on the Lord, those who trust God in his plans, they will renew their strength. We'll mount up with wings as eagles. We'll run and not be weary. We'll walk and not faint. But it comes when we trust God to accomplish his plans in his way. So God does not need our help to accomplish his will. Number four, sin always has consequences. Sin always has consequences. Now, did Jacob end up getting the blessing of God? Absolutely he did. But look at what it cost him. Because he manipulated, because he went around the the ways of God and tried to twist things, because of his sin, he faced consequences. One of the greatest consequences, again, is that he never saw his mother again. He never was, because of his lie, because of his deceitfulness, the, the relationship that he treasured the most was taken away from him and he never saw his mother again. Another consequence, his own brother wanted to kill him. His own brother hated him and wanted him dead. Another one, um, he would later himself be deceived by Laban, his uncle. Remember, we're going to get to the point where he's going to go and and, and, and try to uh, have his own wife and his, and his own future father-in-law was going to deceive him and trick him. And so, again, this just the cycle that happens over and over again. He... Uh, uh, he was exiled for years from his family, 
for years he had to travel and was and found himself in exile and couldn't be a part of the family that God had given him. And, and then I think one of the one of the saddest things is we see that that his family life, his own family life, as he had children, was also full of conflict. Was also full of distress. Uh, you know what 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 happened? Jacob here had been shown this favoritism by Rebecca, and instead of learning from this. Even after being in exile all these years, instead of learning from it, once Jacob has kids, what does he do? He picks a favorite as well. And Joseph becomes his favorite. And he just continues this cycle of dysfunction and treating one of his kids differently from the other kids that that leads to his son, uh, him thinking that his son's life had been taken, but ultimately his son being sold into slavery and, and all the different things that happen. And so we just see again the consequences of sin and the consequences of us not trusting God. Number five, what's the final thing for us to glean today? God is sovereign even in our foolishness. <laughs> God is sovereign even in our foolishness. And you know, in, in one sense, man, I'm thankful for that. <laughs> that's that's the story of grace, right? Jacob still gets the blessing because that was God's plan. God's, God was sovereign. God was going to accomplish his purposes. And even in the midst of all the foolishness and the wickedness and the sin, God still showed that his plan will always be accomplished. God works in spite of us. Man, and aren't you glad for that? So many times, so many times I have found myself in the same place. So many times I can think back in my parenting. I can think about in my pastoring. I can think about in my role as a husband. There have been so many times that, that maybe I was trying to accomplish a good thing, but man, I really got in God's way. So many times I have messed things up and I have not done right. I've not parented well. I have not pastored well. I have not shepherded my wife and family well. And But even in the midst of my mistakes, even in the midst of me just absolutely blowing it and making a mess of things, there's this thread of God's sovereignty that runs through my life. There's this thread of God's sovereignty that runs through my family and through history that says, you know what? I, I want you to be involved in what I'm doing and I want to use you in great ways and I'm going to use you in great ways. But you know what? My plan will be accomplished. My my will will be done. And so even in our weaknesses, even on our worst days, we can trust in the sovereignty of Almighty God. We can trust that God will accomplish his purposes. And in that, may we not try to usurp, may we not try to twist, may we not try to manipulate but may we, as followers of Jesus Christ, may we trust him. May we trust God to accomplish his purposes, trust God to accomplish his will, and then be grateful and thankful for the opportunities that he gives us to be a part of that plan, to be a part of that will, to be a part of getting his gospel to the world, to be a part of discipling and leading our families well and those who God brings into our life and into our path. Let's trust him. He is worthy to be trusted. This week, our prayer focus is on the ministry of Heritage Builders, which is Lifeline's program where we equip the local churches to be able to care for teens in foster care who are on uh, in the process of aging out of the foster care system. And so we want to equip churches that will wrap around them, come alongside them, and be support for them as they move into adulthood. So let's lift up this ministry before the Lord and pray that God will continue to bless it. 
Dearly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. Uh, Lord, that spurs us on to good works. It helps us become more like you, Lord. I pray that we'll take even the things that we've heard today, God, that we'll apply them to our lives and that we will, uh, Lord, be faithful to trust your sovereignty and your working uh, both in us and through us and in those around us. God, we thank you for the ministries of Lifeline, and today we pray specifically for the ministry of Heritage Builders. Lord, I thank you so much for, uh, Lord, those that you laid this ministry on the, the heart of our team members. Lord, I thank you for those that have been diligently working, Lord, to to create a program that could easily be replicated in churches. Lord, we thank you for the two churches that have been a part of the pilot of this program, Valadale Church and Shades Mountain Baptist Church here, both here in Birmingham. God, we thank you for the opportunities you put before them and the way that they have loved well on young people, the way that they have loved well on uh, the state workers, Lord, that, that, that serve these kids. Um, Lord, the way that they have uh, loved well on the group, home staff, and others that are involved in their lives. And we pray, God, that you just would continue to bless there, that you continue to open doors. Uh, Lord, it's been such a blessing to hear stories of you bringing young people to yourself and saving them and, and having them be baptized. And Lord, we, we lift up uh, one young lady specifically, Lord, who has just, uh, just left the foster care system, but came to know you a few months ago and is now trying to, to, to find uh, get her feet under her and, and we pray that, that the ministry will wrap around her and be able to care for her and support her. Uh, God, we pray for those that are stepping in to be advocates. We're willing to just commit to to one-on-one relationships with teens in care. We pray, God, that you would just equip them and give them the ability to, uh, to trust you, to articulate the gospel in creative ways and be able to come alongside these young people. We pray uh, again, Lord, for caseworkers and others that are engaged in the lives of these young people. Uh, We pray also, God, as we seek to now move this ministry to more broad uh, places around the country, Lord, as we are putting the final touches, God, on preparing a training that will be used to to train churches at any location around the country, God, to be able to serve these teens in care. God, I pray that you will, uh, Lord, help us to, to, to find the right churches that have the right heart for this and the right uh, motivation and the right, uh, Lord, just, just the right uh, season or the right season. We pray that you would just raise up churches, God, that have this heart and uh, equip them, God, to be able to engage in this type of ministry. Lord, we we help us to remember, God, that even if we're able to affect one or two lives, God, the differences it can make in generations and the difference it can make, Lord, in, in, in bringing people to yourself and bring others as well. And so I pray, God, that you just would use this ministry even beyond what we could ever hope for, what we could ever dream or imagine. God, I pray that you will, uh, Lord, help teens in care today, God, to know that they are loved, uh, to know that you love them, that you created them with purpose, and Lord, that you desire to have a personal relationship with them through your son, Jesus Christ. And uh, Lord, I pray that the young people will come to know you as Savior and that young people will be strengthened in their resolve and that they will be equipped, Lord, to, to, to serve you all, the, all of their days. God, again, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for the ministry of Lifeline. May you continue to guide and direct us. Order our steps, God, according to your word. And we give you thanks and praise. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.